This message was recorded at North 2011, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. It's wonderful, isn't it, to see what God's doing all over the world. It's wonderful to know that we here in the North are having a major part to play in that. It's also very exciting for me that we're twinning and partnering with other apostolic movements within New Frontiers, twinning with uh, what's happening with Scott and what's happening with uh, Joseph there in in Zambia, what's happening with uh, Gary Walsh down in the southern part of Africa. God's allowing us to work together and twin together and partner together. We'll say a little bit more about that as we go on through the Word of God. If you've got a Bible, that's a good thing. Would you like to turn to the book of Joshua, please? I can't get away from this passage. Every conference I've been to in the last three or four months, every setting I've been in, every leaders meeting I've been in, last week at West Point, every meeting I went to, and even here, just about every meeting, this passage has been referred to either deliberately, specifically, or obliquely in terms of what Joshua encountered as he pressed into the promised land. In terms of Joshua before Jericho. And I can't get away from that. It's something I've spoken on before in various settings, never in a setting like this. But I feel the Lord has really put that on my heart for us to bring a kind of summation of what's happening at the moment and give us the context in which to move forward. So if you've got Joshua open, perhaps you'd look at chapter 5. We're going to look at verses... 13 of chapter 5 through to verse 5 of chapter 6. So Joshua 5, 13 to 6, verse 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us? Or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servants? And the commander of the Lord's armies replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy and Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Father, I thank you for all you've been doing with us this weekend. 
I thank you for great faith. I thank you for inspiring stories. If we've heard of church plants into new areas, even new continents, even new countries, we thank you, Lord, for works amongst the poor, the disadvantaged. We thank you, Lord, for strengthening local churches. We thank you, Lord. We're believing you for churches of thousands and thousands of churches. We thank you for this amazing offering, Lord. We're in awe of your generosity. Lord, all that we have comes from you. We're aware of our weakness, but in our weakness, your grace gives us all we need. And in our weakness, your power is made manifest. Teach us tonight, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just give you a little bit of the background of this story. Obviously, I guess we're all very familiar with this, probably from our Sunday school teaching. And I guess many of us will have heard this story preached many times in our local church. But the children of Israel, as Terry was outlining earlier this morning and yesterday, have been through the, have come out of Egypt, have come through the Red Sea. They've been around the desert, quite a long time around the desert, actually. They first tried to go in at Kadesh Barnea, but actually because of their faithlessness, God judged that generation to another 40 years of wandering around the desert. And then we come to this place where they encounter, where they press into the promised land. Something amazing has just happened, and that is this. The prince of Egypt, the man who'd led them out of Egypt, the man who'd encountered God face to face, the man whose face had shone with the glory of the Lord, the man who came down with God's very rules, his very laws, his very commands, the man who then led them for 40 years through the wilderness, our great hero, the one who was so amazing, has died. Moses is dead. And now Joshua, his assistant, his trainee, the one that he's taken under his wing, is now leading the people of God into the promised land of Canaan. Into the land flowing with milk and honey. Into this new Eden that Terry was talking about. They just crossed over the River Jordan again. It was a little bit like going through the Red Sea. It was quite remarkable. They were told that as the... uh, as the uh, feet of the guys, car- the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, you know, I think most people get their theology either from Lloyd, Lord, Lord Weber or from George Lucas in uh, Indiana Jones. But as, the, as, the, as it goes through, their feet touch the Jordan and suddenly this mighty river that's in flood dries before them, open before them. And two to three million people press through into the promised land. It's been a remarkable time. Behind them is the desert with all its failure, all its problems. It's a new day. It's a new, exciting day. In front of them is this glorious promised land flowing with milk and honey. What opportunity, what excitement is before them. But the first thing they notice as they come into this promised land is these massive walled cities, particularly this first one, Jericho, as they come up against it. 
And then to make matters worse, that river that we crossed through so easily has just closed up behind us. That manna that we used to have every day, that beautiful sweet honey cake that we've lived on for such a long time that we never had to bother to get food. We never had, it, that's, that's stopped now. And in front of us is this massive walled city reaching up to heaven. God has painted his people into a corner. Has that ever happened to you? You've followed the Lord. You've obeyed him. You've done what he asked. He's done miraculous provisions. And suddenly, before you, is a massive challenge. Suddenly, before you, you feel trapped in. You feel there's no way out of this thing. I have to go forward. And yet, to go forward is going to involve some major confrontation. It's going to involve a major challenge. God paints us into a corner quite often in order for us to trust him, in order for us to exercise faith, in order for us to believe him, in order for us to obey his commands, to do it his way. In your frontiers in the moment, we're in this moment of transition. We're in this moment of new leadership emerging. Now, some of you are saying, it's taken us years to get here. It's been like wandering around. It's been years. There's been this handover of responsibility. And challenges, massive challenges in front of us. Suddenly feeling that these promises that it was so easy when Moses was around. It was so easy when Terry led everything. It was so easy. We just got in behind his slipstream. We just said yes and nodded our heads and we get... Went, so he, he let it all, he, he took the flak, he, he pressed in, but now you find, I open my eyes and, oh, he's not in front of me anymore. Oh, blow. We're leading this thing. Our team's involved with this now. We've got these promises that were once somebody else's promises. They were once the family promises, but they've kind of been passed down the line and it feels a bit like past the parcel. You know, you've been passing it round and then suddenly the music stopped and I'm holding the thing. How did that happen? Massive challenges in the United Kingdom right now. So aware of the fruit of our new atheism. So aware of the so-called new morality that's produced such violence, such despair, such challenges on our streets. I feel we're painted into a corner. We're the only ones with the answer. And yet somehow we feel muzzled. Somehow we're not speaking up as we should be. We know that we've been pushed onto a stage for such a time as this. And yet somehow we don't feel we've got an awful lot of voice. We don't feel anyone's really listening to us. We don't feel we're really speaking up and making a difference. We're being painted into this corner to trust him, to believe him. There's no going back. We can't go back to the 1950s. We can't go back to the 1980s at Downs Bible. We can't go back. We're being pushed forward into a world that we're very uncomfortable with sometimes, but that we know that we need to proclaim answers and truth. And just as Guy was saying in that paper shop, when the guy says, what's wrong with the world? Turns to the guy, what is wrong? And he says, that's what I feel like sometimes. I feel that's what the church does. But we know what's wrong with the world. And we know the answers. We know our call. We know the promises that God has given us a promised land. We know 
And Joshua knew that. And for us, from the north to the nations, it's not a little byword. It's not a little word that you put on a letterhead. It's not a little catchphrase that you put on your internet website. For us, it's a deep-seated, held passion. We're not playing with this stuff. We're not, let's have a go with it. We're passionate about this. We really are planting a church in Norway. We really are sending these guys to Zambia. We really are planting a church in Vancouver. We really are seeing one in Kitchener-Waterloo. We really are seeing other churches emerge. We really are doing that in not just this nation, but in the nations. And then blew me down. Guy Miller, who I thought was a friend, kind of implies... You're only really doing it in the rich and wealthy nations, aren't you? We didn't say that, but I heard it. In the same way that I came into quite a bit of flack last night in our tent about his comments about fat northern women. (laughs) He didn't actually say it, but we heard it. I'll give him a slap when I see him, don't worry. I heard it last night. Did you hear that from him last night? Did you hear it when he challenged us about the 1040 window. Did you hear it when he challenged us about Africa, Northern Africa, about China, about India? Did you hear that challenge? That reverberated something in me. It kind of stirred me. It kind of ruined me. I kind of thought, oh, that's annoying because we're just getting to grips with Canada. I'm just enjoying that. I'm just, I kind of got my diary sorted out. A trip in the autumn, a trip in the spring. It's quite nice. I go when it's okay weather. I go, I kind of worked out. But there's two times a year when the Canadian climate, which is a bit weird, it's like minus 30 in the winter and plus 40 in the summer. But there's two times of year when it's quite temperate. It's quite like the UK. I go those times of year. It's quite, you know, we're okay. We, we, and I thought, oh, no, God, you're, you're saying this. You're, you're now talking about South America and you're now talking about breaking into China. Lord, the Lord's painting us into a corner. We've gone public on this stuff and you've believed us. I mean, you've given money. Some guys are going. We're not messing about here. We we only have one life and we're giving it to the kingdom. We're investing it. And we feel painted into this corner. In this, I love this passage. This passage has been, even from a child, as my parents first read the Bible to me, and then as I started to read the Bible every day, I had a great big children's Bible. I had this massive children's Bible, which was really funny, because a few years ago, I, my parents got rid of it. I mean, it's not a very nice thing to do, is it? Get rid of your children's Bible. And uh, they gave it to the church bookstall, and one of the kids in the church bought it, found that my name was in it, and wrapped it up and gave it to me. <laughs> So I now have my own children's Bible, but I can remember the picture of, I can remember the picture of Jericho. I can remember Joshua before Jericho. I can remember it was so stirring. I can remember as a child reading these passages, but what impressed me about it was this mighty, mighty warrior that came. Joshua encountered the Lord, verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Got to read the text. He looked up. What does that imply? He was looking down. I mean, I would be. I am. <laughs> Going around this campsite, I said, oh, God, give me a word. Oh, God, please help me. Oh, God, it's coming up to north. I've got nothing. 
I've got nothing to give. I go through all my old notes. That's rubbish. That's no good. That's no good. That's no good. I'm coming up to West Point. I'm thinking, well, I tell you what, I'll write a good one. I'll trial it at West Point, see how it goes. If it goes okay, I could do it here. Get nothing. Get nothing. Then God speaks to me about speaking on, jo- uh, on Joseph at West Point. Well, I've done that one. You don't want to hear that one again. It was all right, but, you know, I've done that one. And I've, my head's down. You look down, how about you? Cares, concerns, pressures, worries. Jo- Joshua, he's just, I mean, Moses, what an act to follow. Virgo, what an act to follow. Still going strong. Still. You know, you think of the cares of two million campers. I'm worried about two and a half thousand campers. I, I feel personally responsible for the mud. Thank you. I recognize that voice. Inverness off the list. He looks up. He looks. He's been looking down. He's concerned. And then suddenly a man, just called a man, comes. I can imagine this man emerging from the mist. It doesn't say this is necessarily early morning, but I imagine an early morning mist. I, I love going out walking early in the morning. And I love sometimes the early morning mist. And sometimes where we live, you could, if I walk out a bit into the countryside, I can see cows in the field. Sometimes you, they emerge out of the mist. They're magnificent beasts. I can imagine... I can imagine this man emerging out of the mist. And Joshua's not paying attention at first, his head's down, but then suddenly this man emerges, and not just a man, a man with a sword drawn. Now, in their culture, in their context, that was not just a guy with a sword, it was a arm, it was a guy armed and dangerous and called for war, looking for trouble. Now, who is this man? Some say, some commentators may feel it's an angel. Some may feel. But Joshua later calls him Lord and worships him. And if you ever notice an angel, whenever there's an angelic appearance and a man falls down to worship them, which they often do, and I think if you saw an angel, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship him. The angel always says, no, 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 worship the Lord, not me. This one doesn't. In fact, this one seems to receive worship. The commentators, if you read the decent ones, they say, (laughs) Arnold's giving me a list. They say, this is a theophany. An appearance of God in the flesh in the Old Testament. In fact, some of them call it a Christophany. Because what is the appearance of God in the flesh? Christ, the man. I believe with all my heart that this is Jesus coming to Joshua. I believe that it's a prefiguring of the day when he would put on flesh. But that's happened many times in the Bible. God took on flesh and walked with Adam in the garden. If you look through the Bible, there's many encounters of God in the flesh. Abraham entertains these three. It's a bit weird, but there's three of them. Kind of a bit of a clue in that. And he says, the Lord spoke, 
against the Lord. Jacob wrestles with an angel, but later we find out it's the Lord. Gideon encounters the Lord. Daniel, you remember the fiery furnace in Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You imagine, when were they looking? And there's one, there's a, didn't we put three in there? But there's one, there's a fourth one, and he looks like a son of the gods. Perhaps that's what he is, a son of God with them. Jesus coming. And so often when Jesus comes in the Bible, so often when he encounters people who aren't expecting him, so often they miss him. Think of Mary at the garden tomb. You think Jesus' his first resurrection parents that he's promised to Mary. He's promised to his disciples he'll come back. His first resurrection parents. Surely Mary would see him. Surely this one who he's been so close to, who's been his friend, would recognize him, the Lord of glory. She thinks he's the gardener for heaven's sake. Tell me where you've laid him, please. Mary. Wow, it's the Lord. Then later, those two people on the road to Emmaus, we don't know who they are, there's hints in Scripture as to who they may well be, but on the road to Emmaus, he just appears. I mean, that's a bit weird as well. Just appears, walking with them. Then he, un- he talks to them, asks them what's been going on. He plays a little game with them. Don't you know? No, tell me what's been going on in Jerusalem. Don't you know? This one who died... And then he takes them through, wouldn't you like to know that Bible study? When he takes them through every verse, when he takes them through all the law and the prophets, all that was testifying about him, proving that the Christ must die. And then later, as he goes on, they invite him in. And he breaks bread. It's the Lord. He's appeared. Listen, we often miss Jesus. We often miss his appearances. He's appeared to us this week. The Lord has been with us this week. He's been here in power, in glory. This has not been a conference. This has not just been a family camp. This has not just been a gathering of a few Christians. This has been the Lord's people calling him to himself. And he's appeared and he's going to come again and manifest himself in his glory and his radiance amongst us. We can so easily miss Jesus when we're wrapped up in ourselves. And therefore, Joshua challenges him. I mean, the cheeky guy, he challenges the Lord. Are you for us or for our enemies? Who? Halt. Who goes there? For me or for them? NIV gets it wrong. Neither is not a good translation. Better translation is nope. What do you mean no? I didn't. No, he's not. Are you for us or for your enemies? Me or them? Big city, big lot of people. Me or them? No. Wrong question, Joshua. Do you like to think again? I come as commander of the army of the Lord. This is not a question of are you on my side. See, we're not trying to get God on the side of New Frontiers. We're not trying to get God on the side of the North. We're not trying to say, God, hey, you're now really pleased with us. We've got to, you know, we've done it just like Terry. We've got our own Downs Bible Week. You know, I survived Drowns 85, and I did. Uh, would, perhaps we'll get the T-shirt. You know, I survived the mud of 2011. Yeah, you know, we've done it. We've done a Bible Week. I said we won't be a real team until we close the Bible Week. 
Because that's apparently what you do when you're a real team. You run a really successful one called Downs, you shut it down. Funny way to do it. Then you open another one, even bigger, even better, and you shut that one down as well. So I'm just waiting for the day. Listen, wrong question. Not, God, come on my side. But actually, God, we're on your side. God, we align ourselves with you. It's not our fight. It's not our battle. It's not our idea. We didn't come up with this idea of a glorious church. We didn't come up with this idea of the temple of the Lord filling the earth. We didn't come up with this idea of planting church after church, of the kingdom advancing and lives being changed. It's not our bright idea. And do you know what? Terry Virgo didn't come up with it either. Now that's a surprise to some of you. We're not aligning ourselves with Terry and his team. We're aligning ourselves with the God who said, as surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We're aligning ourselves with the one who said, I will build my church and even hellish gates won't overcome it. We're aligning ourselves with the one who says, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to principalities and powers. That's the one we're aligning ourselves with because the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. See, David learned that very quickly. He said this in 1 Samuel 17. It's not by, said this to Goliath, it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. This is God's mission. See, we've been included in Christ. We're added to him. We're added into his army. He comes as captain of the Lord's hosts. You might not realize that. We're not asking God to be with us at North. We're aligning ourselves with his mission. We're aligning ourselves with his great plan. He's the one who's been working on us. Now, do you know what? I'm grateful for the mud this weekend. I can thank God for the mud. Because luckily, he's given me a prophecy about it. It's kind of convenient. Sorry. In the sovereignty of God, for those of you a bit religious... (laughs) I love the message translation of the Bible. Bartimaeus, when Bartimaeus, when the disciples, it's so funny in the message translation, the, the disciples say, shut up, he doesn't want anything to do with you. Bartimaeus, the son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, go away. He doesn't want anything to do with you. And then Jesus says, Bartimaeus. And the disciples go, oh, it's your lucky day. <laughs> that great theological statement. But God spoke to me in a meeting. I just I saw it. I saw these just mud pies. And I felt him saying, look, I've made you north. I've made you as a mud pie. It's a bit funny, isn't it? I've made you. Actually, you were just a pile of clay. That's all you were. Just like Adam was, you know. Adam was just a pile of clay. Adam was just like that. And yet God, out of the mud... And the dust and the dirt of the ground formed a man for himself that he breathed into his spirit. Listen, from the mud of the north, from the dirt of Yorkshire, 
he's formed for himself a mud pie, a lump of clay. And now he's thrown that clay onto the potter's wheel. And he's been working it and been spinning it and been fashioning it. And with the help of apostolic men who've been amongst us, with the help of gifts of the Holy Spirit that have come so richly to us, we are being formed into a glorious vessel for him, for him, for his glory, that he might come and fill us. The battle is the Lord's. This is the Lord's doing. He's forming us. We're not forming the pot. The pot doesn't turn round and say, why are you making me like this? It's his choice. It's his glory. The battle belongs to the Lord. How did Joshua respond? Well, first of all this, Joshua worships God. He fell down, verse 14. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. I think Joshua at that point is more overwhelmed with the majesty and the power and the glory of King Jesus than he ever is by the height of any walls. He's suddenly aware that one more powerful than the wall is here. Suddenly aware that one more powerful than a Jericho is here. The Lord of glory is here. The King is among us. And suddenly, what is daunting of nations, what is daunting of pressing in and touching a nation, doesn't become so daunting after all, because the battle's the Lord's, and the Lord's here, and we fall down and we worship Him. I want to appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that worship is our appropriate response. When he gives us big vision, when he speaks to us about things, when we've got great challenges before us, we don't first ask what your plans are. We first fall down and we worship him. We first fall down out of reverence and love and respect and give him what he's due. We've got to be worshippers before we're doers. See, so often Christians want to do stuff for God. I want to do it. And then when somebody else does it, you feel guilty because you didn't do it. Listen, he doesn't first call us as doers. He first calls us as worshippers. He first calls us as lovers of Jesus. He first calls us as those who are to be encaptured, enraptured, entranced, transfixed by the beauty and majesty and glory of Christ. Is that what you're caught up with? Or are you caught up with our vision? If you're not caught up with our God then you can't be caught up with our vision. If you're not caught up with the majesty and glory of Christ, then don't go on a church plant. Don't go to Africa to start a school to help plant a church. Don't do that, please, because you'll be a doer. We don't want doers, we want worshippers of the Lord Jesus. We want those who first and foremost give themselves to him. See, worship gives us a right perspective. We need that more and more in this day. We need a right perspective because we're getting our perspective all wrong. We're getting our perspective from our iPads and our iPhones and our Apple TVs. And we're getting, that's where we're getting our perspective from. We're getting it from The Guardian. We're getting it from The Times. And if you're really bad, The Daily Mail. And uh, we're, getting, we're, you know, we're, we're getting our perspective from these things. And they're telling us the state of our nation. They're telling us where it is and we're believing them, actually, no, we need to look to the Lord. We need to worship Him. We need to get our perspective right. We need to see, not big walls, little God, big God, little walls. It's important we get that. It's important we understand that, dear friends. It says in the Psalms, 
Psalm 22, verse 3, you, Lord, are enthroned on the praises of Israel. As we worship him, we get such a bigger perspective of who he is. I love that prophetic interpretation this morning that Mick gave. I knew Mick was going to give that. It's so funny. So sometimes I just know who's going to bring things. I just turned around, I looked at him, and I went, and he went, <laughs> and he came forward. Mick's the guy who looks like Pavarotti, by the way. And uh, <coughs> he's a northerner <laughs> and sings beautifully. And just when he sang about the bigness of God and I've made you too small in my eyes, Lord, but I'm now getting a bigger perspective of you. It's in worship that we get a bigger perspective of him. Psalm 34 verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, that's a bit strange. You think, I can't make him any bigger. I can't, I can't make him any bigger, but the problem is not God's bigness. The problem is my sight. I'm not seeing him as bigger. And in worship, I magnify him. As I worship him, I see the bigness, the greatness, the glory of God. My perspective changing. Paul and Silas in prison. I mean, I'd moan. I know I would. It's a bit cold in here. The food isn't very good. Why did you take me on this trip anyway, Paul? I, I thought apostolic trips were supposed to be fun. I thought we'd stay in a nice holiday inn. I thought, you know, it would be good. But we're in this, no, what do they do? They just worship, worship. We're worshipping, well, we're counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. We're worshipping Jesus. You suffered for us. Oh, what a privilege to suffer in your name. We're worshipping you. Suddenly earthquakes, prisons, doors opening. Wow, God's made very big. I read this just the other day, just doing through my ordinary daily readings. Not Murray McShane, mine's done by Kingsway. <laughs> it's a read the Bible in one year. All done for me. <laughs> just reading through Jehoshaphat and just reading through what he did in terms of sending the musicians out in front of the army. I've thought of that many times. <laughs> Send the musicians out <laughs> first. <laughs> But as they send the musicians out, as they're worshipping God, as the ark of the as the whole sense of the glory of God is coming, suddenly enemies are ambushed and God moves. We're making him big. We're making him glorious. We're getting him in his right perspective. Our priority is worship. We are, if, if nothing else, we're a people of the presence. We're a people carrying his presence. The the ark, the temple, the tabernacle are no longer artifacts. They're no longer physical things. We are the temple now. We are the very dwelling place of God. We are bringing these things into life, into worship. We are these very things. And we are carriers of the presence of God. That's who we are. We long for the presence. We hunger for the presence. I love Moses' prayer. God, if you don't go with us, if your presence isn't with us, then don't go. And God gives Moses a great offer. Tell you what, Mo, we'll do a deal and I'll send my angel. No, I don't want your angel. We could get rid of these people. Just you. No, no, Lord, I want you, your people. We want you. We want your presence. Come with us. Go. And, oh, God is pleased with that kind of prayer. He wants to presence himself amongst his people. His glory amongst us. We are a people of his presence. It's not our buildings. I mean, some of, we've got great buildings. It's not our music. We've got great music. It's not our communication. It's not our visuals. It's not our great DVDs that we do now. 
It's the presence of God that marks us out as the people of God. That's what's going to draw. See, we live in an age where we think if we get all those things right, now please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I want bad music. Done that, don't like it. I don't want bad buildings. I don't want, I don't want bad communication. I don't think that glorifies the Lord at all. But neither do I think that is the vehicle that God uses to bring the unsaved to him. I believe it's his presence. Now, we could do all those things well. It's better than doing them badly. But it's his presence that draws people. If we listen, friends, if we lose his presence, we lose everything. Everything we lose. It's the presence of the Lord. It's worshipping Jesus. It's intimacy with him. There's such an intimate thing here as he falls down with reverence before Christ. Last year from this platform, we talked a lot about passion for Jesus. We talked a lot about loving Jesus, coming back to our first love. We quoted verses like this, 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us. That's what I'm compelled Not just to plant churches, I'm compelled to bring glory to Jesus because I love him. Because I love Jesus, because he's so wonderful, because he's so amazing, because I want him to have more glory. I'll plant loads of churches. We'll send loads of people. We'll give loads of money. We'll give hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. We'll give. Why? Because we love Jesus. Not because we love the mission. The mission exists for Jesus. The mission exists to give him glory. It's passion, love. For Jesus, I love what Isaac Watts wrote. When I survey the wondrous cross, he said this, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. When you've encountered Jesus like Joshua did, you give your life to him. You're enraptured by him. This is not some sloppy love. See, some people have misunderstood I misunderstand what we say. It's not some sloppy, gooey, Jesus is my girlfriend kind of love. It's not, it, it's not weak love. It's not sentimental, sloshy, trashy, easy come, easy go kind of love. It's not, it's not that kind of love at all. This is as love, I love what it says in the Song of Solomon actually, love as strong as death has won me. This is passionate love. This is strong love. This is love with reverence. This is love with awe. This is love with holiness. Falls down in reverence. I love these verses in the Psalms. Psalm 112 verse 1. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. They'll find great delight in his commands. Psalm 118 verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord say, well, better do what I'm told. No. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. You see, there's such a link between the awesome fear, respect, and honoring of Christ and our passionate love for him. These are not two distinct things like we're talking about word and spirit. Passion, love, fear, reverence. They're not two things. It's the same adoration of Christ. It's the same glorification of Christ. Joshua worships God. Secondly, Joshua submits to God's plan. What message does my Lord have for his servant? Verse 14. What message does the Lord have? Not all. Now I've got your attention, God. Now you've turned up. Great. I'm glad you're here. Now, this is what I think. 
I've got some plans. I've got some ideas. This is my strategy. You know, I've got a vision statement. I've got a mission statement. I know what I'm doing. I've got some plans. Would you please bless them, Lord? Please, could you put your royal seal of approval, please, on the plans I've come up with? Thank you very much. Joshua doesn't say that. He says, Lord, well, I've worshipped. I've recognised, Lord, it's you. What plans does my Lord have? What are your plans? I want to hear him about new nations. I want to hear him about areas of breakthrough. I want to hear what plans does he have for us. And the commander calls Joshua to act in two areas. We haven't got time to look at too much of this, but firstly, there's a new devotion that's called from Joshua. There's a new giving of himself to the Lord. This is what Jesus says to Joshua. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. There's a giving of ourselves to him. It's not obey the rules. It's not now do this. It's actually now. See, holiness is not about a physical place. It doesn't mean that place is holy. No, the only reason that place is holy is the Lord is there. See, some people have holy buildings, some parts of the building even more holy than the other. But it's not about a holy place. It's about a holy person who's turned up. It's about Christ who's turned up, who is holy. It's about where God is. It's consistent with every biblical encounter of God where people cry, holy, 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 I'm undone in your presence. But do you know holiness is part of our identity now? It's who we are. We are God's royal priesthood. We are a holy people. We are a people of his possession. We are a people now who are dedicated to him. Ephesians 1 verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy in his sight. And because of our union with Jesus now, because of the blood of the lamb that's been applied to us, we are righteous in him. We're holy in him. Now actually we then work out that holiness. Let me give you a verse that I just read today. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, kind of brings these two ideas together that we've been made holy, we've been justified. One act, once and for all. But now we work out our holiness. We're being made holy. We're being sanctified. We're being set apart. We're having this new devotion to him. It says this in uh, Hebrews 10. By that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We've been made holy, dear friends. We are now holy unto the Lord. We're justified. We're made right with God. You are now, tonight, in Christ, as righteous as Jesus is. I mean, that's remarkable. It's a dangerous doctrine, but it's utterly true. That when you stand before him, you don't stand in your own ability. You don't stand in your own doing. You don't stand in your own performance. You stand in Christ. And everything that's true of Jesus is now true of you. You're in Christ. In Christ is Paul's favorite phrase in the New Testament. It's his great apostolic doctrine of what's happened to us. It comes 134 times in his writings. That's who we are now. We're a people in Christ. 
And therefore, we have the same relationship with the Father that Jesus has. We're holy. But then it goes on. And it says, he sat down, verse 12, same passage. He sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to make his, be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So there's a process that's going on in our lives as well. And in events like this, we get to give ourselves to him all over again. We get to sanctify ourselves in that sense. I don't mean it's by our effort, but we get to again set ourselves apart for the Lord. Again to give ourselves to him. Again to say, now work this into my life, Lord. That area of jealousy, that area of lust, that area of greed, that area I'm troubling, Lord. I'm now receiving your grace. I'm one who now reigns in life, and I'm triumphing over these things. I'm ruling over these things now. I'm being made holy. And I believe as a people, more and more, he's wanting to work this into us. By all that, by, it says, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, that you love one another. That's a character, fruit of the Spirit. In Philippians, it talks about us shining like stars in a dark world, offering out the word, offering out life. It's actually as we're shining. So it's not grumbling or moaning, but shining like stars. Actually, through how we live, how we're devoted to the Lord, it's going to make a massive impact. As we give ourselves afresh to him, there's a new devotion, I believe, coming on us. But also there's new vision. It goes on to say this. And I love these. I love I just love this bit. Now Jericho was tightly shut up. See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. I mean which are you more impressed by? Jericho, tightly shut up. No one goes in, no one goes out. See? Open your eyes, Joshua. See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. See, people always say, well, my town, it's a hard town. Well, you're looking with the wrong eyes. My place, oh, Canada, difficult. Norway, difficult. Oh, North, difficult. Wales, difficult. Scotland, difficult. Northern Ireland, difficult. North of England, difficult. Nobody ever says, my town's really easy. <laughs> you know, we have no witches we have no hills, we have no high places, we have no ley lines, we have no, you know, my, everyone's so aware of demonic, everyone's so aware of demonic activity, and everyone's so aware of the hardness of it, we're looking at the wrong thing, we're looking at tightly shut up cities, when actually we should see that Jericho has been delivered into our hands, David was not intimidated by Goliath, I mean, Goliath is very impressive, he's seven feet Tall, I think, nine feet tall, I think he is, isn't he? Nine feet tall. He's a massive, he's a big boy. He's massive. He's incredible. He's a giant. Great loom for a spear. I mean, you have to have other people to carry it for him. Just spear, Goliath. Thank you. He's massive. He's, he's huge. The armies of Israel are terrified by him. And a little boy who should know better goes and says, who the heck is this? He's an uncircumcised Philistine. Who should he... Taunting the armies of the living God? I think I'll have his head off. Why? Because David had seen something bigger. 
as a boy in the sheep fields when lions and bears attacked. He'd seen the Lord. He'd encountered the Lord. He knew that God was bigger. He knew that God was with his people. He knew that God was working out of it. So many of us are more aware of our Goliaths or our Jerichos than we are with God's provision and with his presence. I want to challenge you tonight. I don't know what your Jericho is. I don't know what your Goliath is. I don't know what the issue is for you. Maybe a particular sin that you're battling with. Maybe a character issue. Maybe that internet pornography issue. Maybe that issue of a relationship that you're struggling with. Maybe that issue of finance. Give it away. What do you mean give it away? I'm, st- I, I'm in debt. I'm in difficulty. It's a recession, don't you know? Well, apparently we don't know. What is it you're struggling with? Is that that health issue? Oh, don't mention that. Please don't mention healing. Then I, I, that, that's, a, that's a bit of a walled city for me. I don't really want to go there. What is it for you that's that thing that's holding you up? See, Joshua had actually been here before. 40 years earlier, he'd looked at the promised land. He'd had, he, with Caleb, had, had the amazing advanced privilege of being one of the spies sent in the land. Twelve spies going in. Ten of them coming back with this amazing, well, twelve of them coming back with this amazing report of the land. But ten of them coming back and saying, we can't do it. This is what they say in numbers. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. All the people we saw, they're a very big people. They're of great size. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Notice that phrase. And we look the same to them. Because we really know how they think of us. Joshua says, no. Caleb says, no. We're able. God's with us. We can go up and take the country. Don't listen, men of Israel. Don't listen to them. Listen to us. We can do it. And the people say no, and God judges them for saying no. But Joshua had said yes, because he'd seen something bigger. And I believe here now, he's seeing someone bigger. Faith sees the end before it happens. Don't be like Julie Andrews. Start at the very beginning. A very good place to begin. No, it's not. We don't start at the beginning. We don't start where we are. We don't start at the beginning. We start at the end. We see the victory. We see what he's done. Magnus Magnuson used to say, I've started, so I'll finish. Listen, it's finished, so I'll start. He's done something. He's achieved something. I said earlier that most Christians get their theology from George Lucas and Indiana Jones. So do I. I'll give you a bit of it. I love that scene in the first film, and I was a bit of a fan of those films, and I love that scene in the first film where Indy is escaping from the temple they've just discovered, the ark's just been discovered. He's he's on the run. He's trying to fly out. He's uh, the the ark's in the plane. He's gonna he's got this plan. I'll take the plane and I'll I'll take the ark and we'll all escape and live happily ever after. And he's going to take the plane. He manages to get it. He manages to do it. And suddenly the captain of the guard comes out. Do you remember that? He's a big, bare-chested, bald-headed guy, and he. He comes out, and he's going to take little Indy down. He's going to take him down. Dum, da, dum, dum. 
tum, 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 tum. I like the theme tune as well. And he, he, comes, he comes out and he's a big guy and he starts, Indy, there you go, pounds him. Boom. He starts to wrestle with the guy. And in, somehow in doing this, it's a, the, the plane that Indy was already starting up, already going to go, suddenly chocks her away. And one of the chocks goes. And this plane starts to move with the propellers going around. Do you remember the scene? It's a great scene. He starts to go round like this. And the propellers are going round. And they're fist fighting. And this guy has got Indy. He's got him on the ground. And he's going to pummel him and pummel him and pummel him and pummel him and pummel him. And Indy just looks up and he knows it's all over. He just knows it's all over because something bigger than the guy's turned up. And, and suddenly the screen goes red and the guy's dead. The propeller takes him out. Listen, have you seen something bigger? I knew that wouldn't work. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. It's my conference. <laughs> I said to Graham, can we show the clip? He said, it's too expensive. <laughs> I said, don't worry, I'll act it. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Something bigger than the thing that's pummeling you has come along. It's the glory of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord. Christ Jesus is with us. He's amongst us. And we need to glimpse him, to see him, to be aware of him. Finally, well, not finally, (laughs) Joshua. (laughs) I learned this from Arnold. What does Paul mean halfway through Philippians when he says, finally? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Joshua is obedient. Even when he'd received the vision, Joshua still needed to be obedient. He still needed to act out his faith. Faith without works, faith without deeds is useless. His pretty silly instructions, he's told to march around in silence for six days. And the seventh day, they give this large shout out and then the walls will come down. It seems to me pretty illogical. It seems to me pretty silly. It seems to me, what do you mean? I've got to shout and then the walls will come down. Listen, I'll tell you what, I do a deal. Walls down, I'll shout all you like. No, no, that's not the deal. The deal is you shout first. Priests? step into the water. Uh, well, actually, no. If you make it dry, I don't want to get my sandals muddy. It would be quite, it'd be quite nice. If I, no, no, step in. Naaman, wash in that river. Servants, fill those water jars with water. Bring them to the guy who's in charge of the wine. Man with a crippled arm, stretch forth your arm. Excuse me, that's the problem. If I could stretch it forth, I wouldn't be asking for you to help. What do you mean stretch it forth? Stretch it forth. Oh, wow. Listen, we need to act in faith. Quite often God commands his people to act first. Quite often God commands his people to move out and to step out. Quite often we need to work out our salvation. He will say things to us and we've got to act in obedience. He'll say give and you'll go, okay, God, you give me first and I'll give. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes, actually, I give. Oh, he provides. Thank you. I step out. Oh, water can be walked on. It's important, dear friends, that we learn to act in faith. Finally, Joshua unites the people. They all acted together. It says this, 
All the people gave a loud shout. I love this. They were told to shut up. They were told to be quiet. See, I think this would have happened otherwise. Day one, chatting around, walking around the walls. Joshua, I think he's a great bloke. Look at what we're doing. We're actually finally doing something. Out of 40 years of walking around the desert, we're finally doing something. We're walking around this city. I think something's going to happen as we walk around the city. Joshua, great bloke. By the third day, not quite sure why we're doing this. We did it the day before and the day before that, but, you know, we're just walking around the city. By the sixth day, Joshua's a flipping idiot. Why the heck are we walking around these walls like this? And he says, shut up, be quiet, walk around in faith, trust, believe. And then, all together with a mighty shout, shout, and the walls will come down. I believe God is speaking to us two things at this camp. One is about our vision. Another is about our unity together. It's so important, dear friends, at times like this, that the people of God work together, act together, pray together, give together, serve together to act as one new man in Christ. We are a new man. We're a body. We're an army. I'm loving this thing of army. God's speaking to me a lot about it. I feel it's, this is the phrase I used this morning in the prayer meeting is that this is not a holiday camp. This is a boot camp. Now, it's quite funny because we're all wearing wellies in there. But uh, it's a, this is training. I'm not hearing. See, I think we're acting as one. There's a change across the camp. I don't know if you've worked it out. I don't know if you've realized it. There's a change that's happened across the camp. And the change has gone like this. It used to be fun to be at North. It used to be a holiday. Now it's serious. It used to be, oh, I'll get a bit muddy. Oh, I don't like it when it's windy. I don't like it when it's cold. A soldier doesn't do that. He doesn't say, oh, I don't fancy fighting today. The, the, the sun's not shining. And I, I, I polish these boots. I don't want to get them muddy. Now, a soldier doesn't say that. Or if he, doesn't, if he says that, he's not a soldier for long. There's a seriousness. There's a unity that God is putting on us as a people. And I'm appealing to you to line up with that. I believe it's happening across New Frontiers. I believe there's a new unity coming. No longer a unity that we are one team, but we are teams of teams linking arms, working together. It's a great privilege to link arms with Guy Miller and to be working with him. It's a great privilege to link arms with David Devonish and work together. It's a great privilege to link arms with Colin Barron and work together. It's a great privilege to link arms with John Lamferman and work together. To link arms with guys right across the world. And to be working with Lee Yarbrough into Mexico. If we're going to get into South America, Lee Yarbrough, we need help going to link together, going to be like Olympic rings, work together. We have our own definition. We have our own sphere, but we're linking together, working together, bringing in his presence together, seeing things. And I'm appealing for us to be a model of that here. Regions working together, churches working together, eldership teams working together. This is not a day to go, oh, new day, is it? Oh, I think I quite fancy working with... uh, Dave Devonish, he says, no, he's, he's, he's nicer than you. He gets more exotic trips than you do. I think he, he's been around, he writes books. And I think, I think I'll think i go with Dave Devonish, actually. Or, no, I think, uh, 
oh, John Lampham is a nice guy. Here he's got a nice house. I, I think I quite like to. No, this is not a day. It's not a day to say, who, who should. It's a day to work together. It's a day to build together. It's a day even to cross brace and work with other apostles. Actually, the New Testament, it's never I, my sphere, alone. It's us. It's we. It's together. It's our sphere of influence. It's apostles working together. True apostles work together. It's what God's doing with us, dear friends. And I'm ending this by appealing to you for unity. Now, I've kind of gone away from the notes. Praise the Lord. Musicians, could you come up, please? It's all right. Just for a moment now. I know we've had fun. I know we've enjoyed ourselves. No one's enjoyed it more than me. But right now, right now, there's a seriousness upon us. There's a devotion upon us. And God is highlighting certain things. There are certain issues in our lives. Why don't we just stand up together? There are certain issues in our lives that we need to deal with. We've highlighted some of them in the preach. They're your Jerichos. They're issues where you know you haven't yet seen the breakthrough. They're the issues where you're more aware of your Jericho than you ever are of the captain of the Lord coming to set you free. And tonight you've been challenged by that. Tonight you're feeling, yeah, that health issue, that financial issue. That circumstance, that person, that temper, that lust. I'm troubled. Lord, I want to get it right. I want to surrender to the captain tonight. I want to line myself up in unity with him. And I want to say, Lord, deal with me tonight. Lord, deal with it. If that's you, and I believe there's going to be many of us in this room, why don't you start to make your way forward Start to make your way into the aisles because we're going to pray and prophesy over you. It's going to be a glorious time tonight. There's going to be glorious liberty. There are people here who are sick. There are people here who need healing. And actually, God's going to break some things through. Even as you stretch forth your withered hand, even as you start to say, Lord, yes. Lord, I step out in faith. I believe in God for healing and breakthrough. Why don't you keep pressing forward? There's going to be lots of us. Find space. There's going to be hundreds of us responding tonight, so just find lots of space. You're hitting your Jericho. You're struggling with your issue. You're saying, yes, Lord, I need to break through with this. I need to see that change. Lots of us responding into the sides. If you press right into the sides, ministry team will get to you. But do you know what? Ministry team, we're not going to use the ministry team at first, but still come anyway, ministry team. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep, keep coming forward. Keep filling the aisles. There's more of us now need to respond. More of us are saying, yes, this Jericho has taunted and tainted me for far too long. This Jericho has opposed me for too long. Tonight it changes. Tonight it changes. Keep coming. That's wonderful. Now, as I was praying about how we should respond to this. 
I felt I would want to ask Jules, Bert, who's a very good friend of ours, to sing over us and to sing a song of devotion. Because just as Joshua faced his Jericho, he worshipped the Lord. He put Jesus first. He allowed Jesus to take preeminence. And the most important thing we can do right now is not focus on our Jericho, is see the Lord and focus on him. Now we're going to direct in a moment. And I, 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 in the worship, I had a vision of Dave Fellingham singing over us as well and prophesying over us. And I said to him, how about that? He said, we'll see. But God's going to break things tonight. If you're sick here and you're not in the aisles, why? If there's an issue, why? Get in. Get, make a faith step. Take that first faith step. Uh, just let Jules sing over us and God's going to do some mighty things tonight.